Welcome back to Becoming Next on Scene, everybody. It is your host, Jackie Sook. It's another awesome day for another awesome episode of How to Become Next on Scene in your field of business or in your passion. Before I bring on my amazing guests, I always like to start with a marketing tip that you could tie into self-care. This podcast is so inspiring about really expanding your horizons. And I think that really ties into your marketing about you know, if you're not familiar with things to really start exploring unfamiliar territory, it's just great to learn education, put yourself out there, and you just don't know what doors are going to open up for you as you start to do that. And my guest is a prime example of that. And I'm so excited to introduce her to you all. But I would say the biggest takeaway for today is when it comes to your marketing and your PR and putting yourself out there like Don't put so much stress on like what you don't know. Sometimes it's just taking a risk and taking a jump with no judgment. And you'll be really excited with the outcome. And if it doesn't work out, like you're in the same place you were, right? So I'm all about taking chances. And I think that that's what the show is about today. So today I have the amazing Marina Giordano. She is a wine sake expert. She also works at Channel 7 News on her day job. Um, She's been there for a really long time. She's so inspiring. And she talks all about the ins and outs of sake, why you need it in your life, and so much more. So stay tuned for the amazing Marina. The ups, the downs, and all the in-between. What it takes to become next on scene. Are you next? Follow us at Next On Scene. next on scene everybody i'm so excited to be here with the amazing marina giordano she is a wine sake expert marina so happy to have you on the podcast today oh i'm so glad to be here thank you so much jackie of course and i feel like my audience is very mixed so like for people who don't know what sake is can you define like what is sake (laughs) well first of all so many people don't know what sake is or have misconceptions of what sake is um it is Probably like the biggest misconception is it's a spirit. It's not a spirit. It's it's fermented more like beer or wine. So the alcohol level is closer to wine, like to like a red wine. So it's an alcohol beverage that's made from just rice, water, yeast, and koji, which is a mold that's actually really good for you. But it's a fascinating drink. It has a full range of flavors and varieties that people have no idea out there. So cool. And how did you fall into this world? Like share a little bit about your background and how you fell into the sake world, share everything. So it's sort of, it's a little bit of a long story. So I work in television and about 20 years ago now, there's technology where my job will be taken over by automation. And I panicked and I thought, what am I going to do? I don't have any life skills. Like what do I, I love TV. So I started searching for something that I love as much as TV, explored a couple avenues and fell into wine. I started studying wine and I was pretty deep. I was um, WSET level three and a friend and I went to lunch and he was like, you need to try sake. And I thought it was a spirit and I don't like spirits. And I said, you know, I don't like spirits. I don't want to try it. He was just try it. Don't shoot it. Just sip it. And I was like adamant. I wasn't going to try it. So finally I'm like, all right, fine. So I took it. I took a sip. And I think because I was so deep in wine and knowing how it was made that I put the glass down and I said, how can it taste like this? You said it's made from rice. It tastes like fruit. It tastes like apples. It tastes like melon. Like how are they, what are they putting in it? They must be adding something to it. I went home from that lunch 
and Googled sake classes. <laughs> and two months later, I was in Dallas taking one of John Gottner's class. And then by that was in August. By fall, I was in Japan studying sake. And then when I came back, my teacher for WSET wine, who I was teaching wine classes for, said, you need to be one of my educators for sake. WSET is bringing on a sake program. So I was back in Japan again the following fall and became a sake educator. So oh, been doing cool. that for a little over 15 years. So first, like, what do you pair sake with? Oh, anything, anything. So it's... It breaks the rules, right? So there's actually a Japanese phrase, sake never fights with food, and it really doesn't. So with wine, you get like these pairings that sometimes they're amazing. They're like, as my friend would say, ah, oh, you know, they just like hit right on, but you get a lot of misses with wine. It has tannins, it has high acid. There's things that conflict with foods with wine. So if you don't know what you're doing, it can be complicated. Sure. With sake, it's much different. There's much lower acid. There's no tannins. There's high amounts of umami. There's a little bit of residual sugar, which actually helps with pairing. So what kind of happens is sake just comes in and supports the food. You might get some really great pairings when you find somebody who really knows what they're doing, really understands the sake well and the food well. But in most cases, you can just pair it with anything. So I tell people, stop drinking it with your sushi. Don't drink it with your Japanese food. Have it with anything else. Have it with barbecue, with hamburger, with pizza, with pepperoni pizza. Like actually my favorite meal is probably brunch. It goes really well with egg. It goes fantastic with cheese. It goes with like brioche bread kind of thing. So even like your French toast, it goes with fruit because it has a little bit of sugar in it and it has low acid. So it doesn't compete with the fruit flavors. It even goes with coffee. Like I thought it was a genius coming up with, oh my gosh, it like goes so well with coffee. There's actually a thing like that's a, a cocktail in Japan where you take coffee and sake and you put it on ice and it's like a coffee cocktail. So, um, you know, just like try it with everything. It just goes so well. It really supports the food. It's never the star of the show, but it supports your food. So cool. And so you do this big thing every fall, the Sake Day East. Can you talk about what that is and what inspired that? And that would be great. Yep. Yep. So yeah, Sake Day East. So it's Boston celebration of World Sake Day. That's a thing. October 1st is World Sake Day. It marks the beginning of the brewing season in Japan. And so all around the world, people hold tasting events and dinners and things like that to celebrate the beginning of the brewing season. So my introduction to sake, um, huge introduction, was out in San Francisco where they host Sake Day. And they have about a thousand people and like 500 sake. And I, my selfish... Um, intention of trying to get more people to drink sake in Boston so we get better sake in Boston was, well, I can hold an event like that here. We're going to get better sake in Boston. So I thought I would do the same thing. So it's a consumer sake tasting event. You get a glass, you pay a price, you come in, you can taste sakes. This past year, we had 70 sakes available for tasting. So now you definitely get that full variety and range instead of just like that hot sake that was horrible at the Itzakaya or wherever you tasted it or the one that was really bad that came out of a carton, you know, you're like, what was that? So here you get that full range, these high acid, rich sakes, you get these really light, delicate sakes, walk around tasting. Um, everyone who's pouring is a sake expert, food for purchase. So it's a fun atmosphere, but it's also a learning environment where people can really learn more about sake, everything you want to know about it and figure out how to pair it, how to drink it, how to serve it. Should I serve this sake hot? What can I do with it? you know, just things like that. So it's just a great celebration of sake and just 
a good introduction, whether you have a little interest, you can find a lot more, or if you don't really know anything, you can come in and sample some sakis and go, okay, I do like sake. I like sparkling sake, or I like aged sake, you know, things like that. Yeah, I was going to lead into my next question. Like, how do they make sake, right? And so like, right. one is like, you think wine, wine ages. Like, is that the same? Like, is an aged sake, like the only route that like, I'm curious, I would love more. Yes. So like the big thing to, that I always tell people is you don't want to sell your sakis. You don't want to buy them, hold on to them, put them down in your wine cellar, you know, and collect them and be like, I've got this 50 year old sake, you know, that was bought on my birthday. Don't do that. There are aged sakis where the brewer has made them and intended to age them. So they make them a certain way and they will develop nutty flavors, aromas, sort of sherry-like um, with like nuts, caramel, coffee, even, especially if they're a sweeter sake that it's called kijoshu. Koshu is aged sake and then kijoshu is aged sweet sake. So those are there. That is a category. But in most cases, you want to drink your sake fresh. So the brewer releases it and that's really when you want to consume it. So fresher is better. And then the good thing about sake, because people always complain, well, it's kind of expensive. You know, I'm buying this 720 milliliter bottle, which is slightly smaller than a bottle of wine. And it's costing me $40. Like, what am I buying? Like, is it worth it? And what I tell people is, first of all, yes, you get what you pay for in sake. In most cases, less like in wine. Wine, sometimes you pay for a $40 bottle and it's not quite a $40 bottle. With sake, pretty much the rule is you get what you pay for. Um, so spending a little bit more is worth it. And then once you open that bottle, you don't have to drink it within a couple of days. Think of a bottle of wine, you open it up. If you haven't drank it within like four days, you probably want to use it to cook it. If you open your sake and you have a glass and then you put it in your fridge, you can drink it for like two weeks without a problem. Sometimes even longer, the richer styles will last longer. Your daiginjos and ginjos, which are those fruity, floral, a little bit lighter um, style sakis, lower acid, those will start to get a little, what we call chloe or like a little syrupy, or they might lose their delicate flavors after about two weeks. But often three weeks, as long as you're keeping it in the fridge and you've kept it in the fridge when you bring it home, they'll stay fresher longer. Very cool. I feel like it's like, it's a whole world of like sake. I knew sake growing up when I went to like a, where they make the food in front of you. Yep. Think of yep. What it's called, but they'd also, they'd always serve it hot. So is it always served hot by the way, or is it like. Nope. So that's another big misconception is I have to drink my sake hot. And although at you know, at this point in time, we're getting to cold part of the year where it is really comforting to have a nice warm cup of sake. Or if you're having warm food, you might want to have warm sake. But in most cases, you want to drink your sake chilled. So treat it like a white wine, bring it home from the wine store and stick it in the fridge. And then when you're ready to start cooking, take it out, pour yourself a glass and just let it sort of warm up a little bit to like you know, room temperature or a little bit cooler. And you'll kind of find that magic temperature that it just works. If you feel like, oh, it doesn't quite taste as good as it did when I first took it out of the fridge, put it back in the fridge or keep it in an ice bucket. As it warms up, it might kind of flesh out and round out a little bit and taste better. So it may taste warmer, better, like at room temperature. If it doesn't taste good after that, try warming it, stick it in the microwave for 20 seconds. Huh. See how it tastes slightly warm. What'll have there are sakis that taste good warmed. They're typically not our ginjos and daiginjos. Those have the delicate fruit flavors. Those you probably want to do chilled. But things called jumai, hanjoso, or those koshu, those aged sakis, those are great heated. It rounds the flavors out. It raises the acid. 
but also increases the complexity. So it helps it to match well with food. And then there's some thought too that this warm sake, if you're having it with fatty foods, helps to dissolve the fats in the foods. So if you're having like charcuterie, it might be nice to have a warm sake. It'll help to melt the fats off of your tongue because sake doesn't have those high levels of acid. That's what happens in wine is the acids clear your tongue, clear your palate for the next bite. So when you have heavier, fattier dishes, if you have a slightly warm sake, that's going to help cut through the fats. And I also noticed too, they're served in really small cups, right? Like, yes. like, like you wouldn't pour it in a normal glass of wine. Oh, absolutely. would. Actually, I have glasses right here. So <laughs> I'm going to show I, you. I love it. So we've experienced, we've all experienced this, right? So shot glass. You see it all the time. Sometimes, I don't have my masu here, but sometimes they'll even serve it to you in a square box, a square wooden box, and they'll overflow this. And that's just to show how generous they are. But the reason we're served like in a small cup like this, or a little, what we call a choco, sorry, because our glass is freaking out a little bit. So it's called an achoko. So the reason we serve it like this is actually Japanese tradition. You never pour for yourself. You only pour for others. So if we have a small cup, it shows how much I respect you, how much I honor our friendship. We're going to pour. We're going to pour a lot. So that's why they use a small glass. So what I tell people is this looks big, but it's actually just a white wine glass. It's not as big as it appears on camera, but use a white wine glass, especially for your ginjos and daiginjos. It's going to focus the aromas just like with a wine so that you can really smell them. You can stick your nose in. It's going to concentrate those aromas. It's going to place it correctly on your tongue. So whether you're drinking ginjo, daiginjo, jumai, hanjo, so use a wine glass. It's the best way to serve it. The only time I say no is when you're doing warm sake, you're going to want to use like a ceramic glass or cup because it's going to retain the heat. If you put it, you can do it out of glass. It just, the heat dissipates really quickly. So it's much better if you put it into like a ceramic. Fun fact. So what are like your goals with being the wine sake chick? Like what are the big goals that you have for yourself? Getting more people to drink sake. So I get better sake. It's kind of disappointing to have to order online to get really good sake and go to California and load up a suitcase to bring home with my favorite sakes. But just getting people to understand this beverage because it's so fascinating. It's so versatile. I think people think of it as it's this simple little thing. Like you said, the only time you've had it is like, you know, in a restaurant where the hibachi restaurant where they're cooking and they're serving it to you hot. And so you think that's the only kind of sake there is. And instead, people have to think of it as like wine where there's Pinot Noir, there's Sauvignon Blanc, there's Cabernet Sauvignon, there's Syrah, there's this whole range of white wines and red wines, and they taste completely different. So if we can think of sake that way, there's this whole range of sakes and flavors and whether they're coming, you know, whether it's the style, because it's a jumai, which would be rich in cereal lactic flavors, or if it's a ginjo, which would be fruity and floral and delicate, or maybe because it's a, it's coming from niata, it's clean and dry and crisp. So there's some regional things that go with sake too, or it's sparkling sake, or it's aged sake, or it's namazaki. So there's like this, there's a whole variety and then there's grades of sake too. So helping people to understand that part, that's like the big goal is getting people to just understand and enjoy this fascinating beverage. So when they brew it though, can you elaborate? Like, do you know more about how that works? I'm like really fascinated by that. So as I mentioned early on, there's four ingredients. There's rice, water, yeast, and koji. So koji is a mold that they grow on the rice and that breaks the starches into sugars to create the alcohol. So if you think about wine production, wine's a very simple production process. We have grapes, we squish them. We've got 
sugar. We've got our juice, which is sugar and liquid. We add yeast to that. It ferments into alcohol. With sake, we're starting with rice. So rice is starch and starch is chains of sugar that yeast can't just eat that. So they need it broken down into small pieces. So the koji provides an enzyme that breaks those down into pieces. So what happens is, I wish I had my my regular thing of rice too, the dried grains, but you're not even going to be able to see them, but they're tiny little grains. And what they do is they mill the rice grains. So on the outer portion of the rice grain is vitamins, minerals, amino acids, lipids, things that contribute acidity, umami, which is that fifth flavor of like savoriness, provides higher acid, flavors like that. And then in the center is a concentration of starch. So they want to mill away some of that outer portion, getting to maybe a little bit left or only starch left, depending on the style of sake they're making. So when we're looking for fruity and floral styles, we're going to get to just starch because that's going to be clean, pure flavors. So they'll mill the rice. After they mill it, they wash it, and then they soak it. Then they steam it. And some of that rice, about a quarter of it, goes into koji production. So it goes into a separate room and they grow the mold on the rice for two days. Then we put together a starter batch, which takes like two weeks. And that's to get this population of yeast going. So we have the flavors and aromas of sake are determined mostly by the yeast that we select. Same yeast as in beer and wine production, just special strains that are used primarily in sake. So that's going to what's going to be what makes it like taste like banana or taste like melon, or taste like apple, or maybe taste more cereal. So we'll make that two-week starter, and it builds up this yeast population, gets it really going. Then we move it into our main fermentation tank, and we add more of our ingredients over several days and build up our whole main fermentation. Then it takes about 21 to 35 days to ferment. They'll filter it or press it. We we like to call it filtering because pressing is really a wine action, but filtering, separating the solids from the liquids because not all of this rice is going to dissolve. So we're going to separate them out and get our clear sake. Then it'll be pasteurized, which is heating and cooling it to shelf stabilize it. That's going to stop the enzyme action of the koji so that it becomes shelf stable. If we don't do that, we have what's called namazake and those need to be refrigerated and they go they spoil more quickly. You want to consume them within like a year. And then we bottle it and send it out. The only other difference might be is at filtration, we might allow more of the rice particles to pass through. And that's when we have a nigori sake or a cloudy sake or what we often call unfiltered. So that's most people's experience with sake in America is hot sake or nigori sake. Mm -hmm. And that's that cloudy that looks like a pina colada. seen that before. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So that's actually, we call it unfiltered, but it's actually been filtered. It just has rice particles in it. That's what causes that cloudiness. So, um, and those tend to be sweet in the U.S., but they don't have to be. They could be dry. They could be, they're usually pretty simple in the U.S., but they could be really complex. Um, And then we have other production methods when we're making like there's sparkling sake, which is fascinating. Like that can be super sweet and kind of like peach yogurty, um, really low in alcohol, like six or 7%. Um, so great, like a aperitif, or if you have Prosecco drinkers, sparkling cheap spark or inexpensive sparkling sake, that sweet can be a great substitute, but where there's also this huge movement making more like brute style. So more like 
champagne and like sparkling wines. So it's dry, higher in alcohol, like 16%. They're not as aggressively bubbly as sparkling wine, but they have, they have effervescence and bubbles in them and they're fantastic. And then that's a great either aperitif or dessert kind of wine or sake, you know, drink for your, for your parents. Very cool. So would you drink a glass of sake like you would wine? Like would you have two glasses and like you have, because I know wine has sulfites and like could have bad like symptoms with hangovers. Like, is that similar or like? (laughs) So first of all, I would drink sake anytime, anywhere. um, And however much, I don't care. Um, No, but so it is slightly higher in alcohol than, than wine. It's 16 to 20% red, like Cabernet, Sauvignon from Napa Valley is usually about 16%. And then they have like a 1% leeway on the label. So you're right in there with sake. So your alcohol level is about the same. Thing to remember about sake is there's no additives. There's no preservatives. There's no sulfides. It's almost always gluten-free. They say you don't get hangovers from sake. I can't guarantee you that, but I can tell you that I drink a lot of sake and I haven't had it. The only time I've had a hangover after drinking sake was when I also had something else. Like I had wine or I had a cocktail or I had beer, but never have had a sake hangover. But one of the things to remember, the reason people get headaches, hangovers, is they're usually not drinking enough water. Remember when you're drinking alcohol, you have to match your alcohol consumption with a glass of water. So if you have a glass of wine, a glass of sake, a glass of beer, have a glass of water. You have to match it. It's dehydrating your body. And that's what's going to give you a headache. You're probably not allergic to sulfides. You might be allergic to the additives in wine. You're probably not allergic to the sulfides. So many fun facts, Marina. (laughs) Yeah, it's why I love it. (laughs) When you do the tastings, because you know, sometimes when you do wine tastings, you kind of like, you drink something or like to not bring the other taste to it. Do you do something different with sake or? Um, Well, you could use like, palate cleansers in between like crackers or something, but we do, I should have taken out a sake. We do it just like you would with wine. You know, you, you pour it, you take a look at the appearance. You want to see if it's hazy, if it looks like it might be faulty. Usually, you know, beginners aren't going to get a lot in a wine tasting or a sake tasting with looking at color. They're, they don't know what they're looking for, but you can look to make sure it's not hazy. Um, cause, or if it's, it has a lot of color to it, it might be old, and has that coloration is the amino acids breaking down. It's called the Maillard reaction. It's the same as like when you brown butter, when you toast bread, that's amino acids breaking down. And so sometimes you'll see color in sake and you might go, oh, that might not be good, depending on the producer and knowing as you learn more about sake. But, you know, you'd swirl it, you'd smell it and think about what you're smelling and then taste it. Same as like we would in a wine tasting. Very cool. I just feel like I'm learning so much because I feel like I've tried sake once. It was like yeah. hot. And now I'm like with the expert here. There's so many variety, like so cool. I feel like I've learned so much. So are you teaching any classes coming up or anything like that? I know you do that a lot, right? Yep. Yep. So I teach at Commonwealth Wine School in Cambridge and we have certification classes. So like our WSET classes, which are um, level one and level three and level two is coming out this spring. We don't have exact dates yet, but that's super exciting because it bridges the gap. It's been a huge jump for people who want to learn more, but level three is pretty deep. Level one's a great introduction, whether you're in the business or not. These, Even though the certification, more than 50% of the people in classes are usually consumers. So, um, you know, they're just looking to learn more so they can go and buy sake. 
So we have classes coming up in February is our, is our level one. We also have a sake and sushi, sushi making class coming up in January. Um, that's like a night of try some sake while you're learning how to roll, so, roll sushi. With a company called the sushi class. And then later, well, actually, we will be at the Boston Wine Expo, which is happening in March. I think that's the fourth and fifth or third and fourth, something like that. We're also working with today, um, I'm going to schedule a bonsai class with sake and bonsai. So you learn how to trim and transplant your own bonsai tree and we'll sip some sakes while we're doing that. So yeah, we're always looking for new ways to introduce people to sake, get them to try it. You know, some future classes will probably be like uh, sake versus wine, sake and chocolate, things like that, or sake and pizza, you know, kind of helping people think outside the box with sake. Love that. I think that's so important because like you just automatically deter to what you've seen and what you know. And now I feel like I'm so much more exposed to like, you can do it with so much more than just Japanese food, right? And like, like, thank you for that because I had no idea. So one of the things to think about with sake as you often see, let's see if I can get it to come in, like a cup sake. So this is 200 milliliters, okay? That's like two and a half maybe glasses, probably two of sake. This is not a commitment, right? This is at most, I have bought some that were like almost $20, but in most cases they're between flat four and a half to five, maybe nine or 10 if they're better quality sake. But this is a great way to try different styles of sake is buy a cup, buy a can, it's not that much sake. If you don't like it, give it the rest to a friend or dump it out, you know? So I look, tell people, look for cup sake. There's a lot of really good qualities ones out there now um, that can be really fun. It's also really portable. Somebody told me that they took their cups of sake um, out trick-or-treating with their kids. So they could just pop it open and sip the sake along the way. So convenient or take it to the beach on picnics, stuff like that. So it's nice portable. I love it. Thank you, Marina. This is so insightful. So how can people follow you, get in touch, stay up to date to all the things you're working on? Please share. Yep. So my handle is Wine Saki Chick. I'm on Instagram all the time. On Facebook, it's Marina Giordano. And then with Commonwealth Wine School, we te- we also teach online classes. So a lot of the classes that we offer, they might be offered in person, but you can also join in online. We do a simulcast. And then some classes are straight online class. We'll do them on Zoom. So people can join us there. Saki Days. What's the Instagram? Saki Days. Yep. So Saki Days will be happening in September 2024. So it'll be announced probably by, I hope by April, we'll have our solid date down. But that'll be, you know, consumer tasting, walk around, entry, you know, you get your signature cup and you walk around, taste 70 different sakes and learn from the experts. And what's the Instagram for that? That's at Saki Day East. And we have our website, sakidayeast.com. Okay. Well, this was so inspiring. So awesome. Thank you so much for making the time today. I learned so much personally. So um, I think my kids will too. Like I'm so bad. Great. Yes. I hope you'll take the time to try some sake. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you so much everyone for tuning in to Becoming Next on Scene and stay tuned for who's next on Scene. The ups, the downs, and all the in-between. What it takes to become next on scene. Are you next? Follow us at Next On Scene.